Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. I've decided, Paul, I'm not going to read any of the report. The world does not the world is not advantaged if I read one page or four hundred pages. Right, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of analysis out there because yeah. there are a lot of people reading all one four hundred forty eight yeah. pages. So, uh, you know, a lot of analysis coming out over the weekend on on the Sunday shows as well. So the question is, what do the Democrats yeah. do now? Well, what do the Democrats do now, and how do the Republicans regroup off of this? And of course, the president saying uh, he's exonerated. Chris Rupke's exonerated. Um, he has been looking, as a general statement, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, for a more normalization of yields to a higher yield. He does this in a brilliant research report linking in interest rates into the greater economy for MUFG, uh, the ginormous bank of Japan. Chris Rupke, good morning. Let's talk first about MUFG. They're the biggest bank in Japan? Yeah, still the biggest bank in Japan, uh, formed by Bank of Tokyo and Mitsubishi Bank. What, 1995, the announcement yeah. was. Yeah. Is Mrs. Wontanabe, does she bank there? Is that the, <laughs> the basic idea? Uh, yeah, there was some rumors as There to was that. Mrs. Yeah. Wontanabe bank there. Yeah. And that, of course, talking about the yen dynamics, it's out there. Let's get an update right away on your yield call because you've been acclaimed for folding in yield analysis. There's always been this oomph to higher interest rates, and we just haven't done it. Why now? Uh, it's the Federal Reserve. I mean, they're kind of leading the market by the nose here. I mean, in, in this environment, I don't really feel comfortable uh, putting out a 10-year yield forecast above where the top of the Fed funds rate target is, which is 2.5% right now. But nevertheless, I'm assuming the Fed will re-engage, start to raise rates maybe later this year in December. Uh, we had a bit of a scare. Retail sales were pretty weak in December. Uh, the Fed was... a <clears throat> concern. They scurried to the sidelines. But right now, unemployment claims are back at the lows. You saw yeah. the president's tweet, and it's accurate, that tweet. It's the lowest level since 1969. I had a good time in 1969. I don't know about <laughs> you, but uh, yeah, best years of my life gone. But, you know, the economy is strong here. It, it looked like unemployment claims were going up. You, it, it, It's never been more true that, uh, you know, companies can uh, see a reduction in sales or revenues, they can throttle back their production, but until they fire workers, there is no serious economic weakness. So I don't think the Fed should warn people about downside risks when everyone has a job and there's no sign of any layoffs. It's just they're going too far here in, in trying yeah. to say that oh, we could potentially do something for risk management reasons and I, cut rates. I, got I don't right, buy Paul it. Sweeney. You know, I, I was guessing 1969, Sly and the Family Stone, oh, Everyday People. <laughs> oh, you were there? <laughs> yeah. The first time you heard Sugar, Sugar by yep. the Archies, was, sure, yeah. you were hoping so, the last time. Absolutely. So, Chris, I mean, the <clears throat> consumer clearly is uh, you know very strong, has been very strong um, really over the last several years, and you mentioned full employment. How about the manufacturing? manufacturing sector, not quite as strong. Yeah, we're still okay. I mean, it's kind of ironic. Right now, the uh, orders for new equipment, capital goods equipment, 
which is investment on the part of corporations, it's running at a very high level. These are like monthly flows, durable goods orders, and they're pretty high. I mean, they came down a tiny bit in December, January, February, maybe with the cold weather, but there's nothing significant. If I put a chart up of durable goods orders, you you would laugh. It's like, that's the weakness. There's no serious pullback. How's business investment in America? That's important. Well, uh, there's different things. I mean, there are things that look like we're at the end of the cycle, right? I mean, we're not building a lot of new factories. The president wants factories to bring them home from overseas. But manufacturing facilities, we're not constructing a lot right now. It's it's kind of near a cycle high. Uh, How many more offices do we need? Offices are kind of high. So business investment of companies on structures you know, offices where, well, warehouses are going up. Uh, You know, that investment isn't there, but equipment orders are still there. Uh, Intellectual property, meaning business software, computers, that sort of spending still ongoing. There's no sign, I mean, recession. There's no, there's no collusion. There's no recession. (laughs) There's no, I just keep saying there's no recession. Just keep repeating it. There's nothing out there. Yeah, but as our colleague John Farrell, you remember John Farrell, Paul Sweeney, (laughs) he mentions about every third interview is a great certitude about 2020 recession. I mean, that's a fact. Well, people are very worried about it, but uh, if you're a CEO, aren't you supposed to be worried supposed about to. stuff like that? Well, how I about mean, the, the trade war? Seemed to be, you know, that was an issue obviously back in December yeah. in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That seems to be less of an issue. What is your sense of whether we're going to get a headline type of trade negotiation uh, with China um, in terms of resolution or something more substantive? Yeah, I, I don't care about the substance. I'm a headline reader myself. Okay. <laughs> I just want them to take it off the table, eliminate the uncertainty, say there's an agreement, we'll worry about compliance with the agreement later on, just get the markets to stop focusing on China, which they have at the moment because mm-hmm. they're assuming something's coming <clears throat> in the next 30 days. You, you mentioned retail sales were a little mm-hmm. moldy. I think it was December. I can't yeah, remember. December. And then we've seen recent data as well. You must take three three-month moving average of the control group. Uh, you could that, do that. I don't really get into the control group that much. I mean, you just uh, take the headline number. Yeah. So what it, do you it's see? Good that? enough. What it, do you it's, see about, that? it's it's at a new high. It's at a new high. The, the bottom line is we're consuming. Yeah. We may I mean, be consuming there's, there's different, nothing like wrong. Amazon and all that. There's nothing wrong. We're creating roughly <clears> two hundred thousand new jobs per month. Uh, so the number of people with paychecks is going up. What? One point seven. One point eight. One point nine percent per year. That's a you know, that that's a uh, that keeps growth near two percent at the very least. Uh, no Chris, recession, no recession. Chris Rupke, thank you so much. Bank of Tokyo, uh, Mitsubishi, MUFG Union Bank. Greatly appreciate that uh, this morning. Joining us now, Todd Mariano, Eurasia Group. And, of course, we've got to speak about uh, Washington and maybe we can touch on Sri Lanka as well. But, Todd, I've got to start with ice hockey. You're very Are the Capitals done? I mean, they got wiped out yesterday by the Hurricanes. The Washington Capitals go out and do it last year. Are they done? Uh, this is my favorite topic. I'm very glad that you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, I definitely do not believe that they're done. Uh, I like yeah. I like my Caps chances, and uh, stay tuned. Yeah. That's, that's all I can say. It is dynamic to watch. For those of you that uh, don't follow hockey, if there's one team to watch 
just for the oomph of a guy named Ovechkin. It is the Washington uh, Capitals. I mean, it's going to be exciting at the Verizon Center in Washington. Is there any excitement on Capitol Hill, or is Gridlock going to take the Stanley Cup of politics? <laughs> you know, that's. Uh, I, I think that uh, a lot of people here in Washington expected a, uh, a Russian of Ovechkin size coming at them in the in the Mueller report, and uh, you know, it's it's a bit less than that. I would say. Um, I mean, certainly, there's there's still going to be uh, quite a bit of of debate. Certainly, expect that to be acrimonious hearings, investigations. Um, I don't think that the you know, especially the Democrats, can exactly just let this go. But for us, it, it falls far short of, you know, a, a worst case scenario that you might have imagined where, you know, you see odds of impeachment rising and you have to start thinking about, you know, getting to 67 votes in the, in the Senate. That really appears uh, to us to be um, way off the table now. So I think, I think for markets, that's the removal of a, a pretty big potential headwind. So, Todd, you mentioned that, uh, you know, this was not the worst case, obviously, uh, for the administration. What do you think the Democrats will do now? How aggressive will they be with this new information? I think some of them will be quite aggressive. I think if you look to the committee chairman and certainly um, you look to the the 2020 trail and you look to the, you know, where uh, things are shaping up, uh, in the primary, I think you're going to see some some quite aggressive rhetoric there, some aggressive actions in the House uh, to sort of you know keep this in the headlines, uh, keep the pressure on the president. But in terms of the Democratic leadership, I think that's the more important signal. It's probably going to be a lot quieter. I think that uh, Speaker Pelosi's comments, uh, which was uh, also corroborated by her by her number two, Steny Hoyer. Um, yeah. You know, not really looking to impeachment. It's it's so divisive. You need uh, a really strong bipartisan oh. majority of Americans behind okay. you. It's going to be tough for them to build that case. OK, the dumb question of the morning. I'll go with it because it's beneath Sweeney <laughs> to ask this question is dumb. Is the basic idea of impeachment that the Democrats in the House work their process, but they know even if they work their process, it dies in the Senate, whatever happens? I mean, basically, that's the thinking, right? That's right. And, and that, okay. you know, that that works for them in, in terms of, you know, messaging, especially to their base to, you know, to turn out in, in 2020. Um, you know, it, it works for them in, in the sense of trying to uh, take up room for the administration to push its own agenda, you know, to get to get its own messaging out there. It, it works. But as as you say, it's not it's not uh, a maneuver that that's really going to result in constitutional crisis. Well, Todd, certainly one lever that they that Democrats could pull is to compel Mr. Mueller to testify. Do you think that is on the table? I do think it's on the table, um, I, and I, I certainly think that uh, I thought that for a while, even even before the release of the report. It's you know it's it's the kind of thing where you know it's it's not included in any statute. There's no there's no legal requirement for him to testify, and you know he he may in fact uh, he may in fact decline, but it's. It's similar to the release of Barr's summary of the report, the release of the report itself. This has become such an important um, event in American politics that uh, I think it's actually better to have you know more transparency, more information here. I think he will um, likely testify, and that's an event in and of itself. But whether that right. testimony dif- differs materially from the report, that that I don't think. We can go to this in a moment, Paul. Uh, an important headline out. Iran 
to close Strait of Hormuz if prevented from using it. I believe, among others, Admiral Stavridis and General Kimmet have made clear to us in conversations that the Strait of Hormuz is narrower than we perceive it is narrow. Yes. Yeah, it's and always I, been I a don't have that conflict. in front of me, but yep. is it the Panama Canal? No, but it is in a, a big hunk of water around a close Strait of Hormuz if prevented from using it. We'll have much more. And why don't you continue with Todd Mariano? Yeah, so Todd, one thing that became very clear in the report is the extent of the Russian interference in the 2016 election. What is the administration's view towards Russia now, do you believe? Well, the administration's struggle with Russia policy is that it's not been of one mind on it. Um, I think the Congress is is very clearly been tilting in a more hawkish direction on on Russia for for many years. Uh, the president has been at odds with you know folks within his own White House and and certainly within um, you know some grandees in in his own party, uh, especially in the Senate on on Russia policy. But largely see that behind us. Largely see the administration you know not talking about as Trump did on the campaign trail, you know, cooperating with Russia and Syria, you know, trying to get along better. Um, you know, certainly after the Helsinki summit last summer, um, I, I, all that talk has really been curtailed from the White House. So I, I think that um, it's a very hawkish yeah. stance. We don't necessarily see that as, you know, yielding broad new sanctions against right. against Russia, but all, all you need is a little bit of spark because there's a lot of tinder. One more uh, theme, if you will, one more question. Uh, Todd, how did Attorney General Barr do besides his dashing escape from the press conference? I read a number of things where that were, you know, maybe harshly critical is not the right phrase, but it it gets the color of it. Can you compare and contrast Barr with previous attorney generals, or is it unique to Attorney General Barr? I don't. I don't think it's unique. And I, his his escape was. Uh, I think Mueller's escape from the press after uh, church services that uh, uh, yesterday was, yeah. was also also of note. <clears throat> um, but you know, the the attorney general is is usually seen as a law enforcement official rather than, you know, um, a political appointee. The reality is that there's there's both aspects to the job. I mean, the attorney general needs to, of course, I think, really stay above the political fray. But previous attorneys general have not uh, have not always held to that standard. Um, you know, you can think of, you know, Clinton, Bush, Obama administration. There's certainly ways in which the attorney general is a law enforcement official, but also um, protecting the president and protecting the president's agenda. So by that standard, I, I think that um, I think that Barr is sort of right in uh, the wheelhouse of, of what you'd expect for, for the AG. Todd, thank you so much. Todd Mariano with Eurasia Group with a briefing on Washington Today. Our next guest, Liz Young from Mellon Investment Management. She's a director of market strategy. She joins us on the phone. So, Liz, as Tom was saying, this has kind of been a, you know, tech has really been the star here. We're having a lot of earnings coming up in the next week or so. Where does the market go from here, given this tremendous start to the year we've had? We have a lot of earnings coming up this week. I think there's something like 150 S&P components reporting this week and 12 Dow components. So we'll have a much better picture by the end of the week about 
where the market is headed and what earnings season is going to look like. And coming into the season, we were expecting negative 3.9% growth. And I think I heard a stat today that if every company in the S&P reports as expected going forward, we'll be down 1.7%. In Go growth. to cash. So still, still <laughs> negative, but, but better than what we expected. So to answer your question about tech, from the beginning of the year, that big V-shaped bounce, in the early couple months of the year, everything was pretty broad-based, and we really like to see that. You like to see yeah. a broad-based rally. Now things are getting a little bit more narrow, and that's that's something that right. can be concerning, and it's actually concerning me right now because I, then you have more animal spirits. I know you're not going to extrapolate on a log chart Microsoft out 22% per year, but how does a grizzled pro like you extrapolate such excellence? What do you what do you say to somebody who says, I want to be very Microsofty? Do you just hedge it, split it in two and say, you're only going to make 11% per year? I think you have to be careful when you see stocks like that that are beating the broad market, beating certain sectors of the market, because tech isn't necessarily a bellwether for economic health. And when you want to look at something that's a bellwether for economic health, you look at industrials, you look at how financials are doing, how margins are doing in those two sectors. And what you don't want to do is jump on a bandwagon that's headed fast, faster than everything else, because what will happen, and you mentioned this earlier in the segment, is exactly what we saw in 2018, right? You jump on that bandwagon as it's going up, something like tech, and then it leads you all the way down when the market corrects. So yes, I think you do want to stay diversified. You don't want to be a victim to to that FOMO trade, and you want to make sure that you have allocations to things that aren't quite as beta heavy. So, Liz, how concerned are you about U.S. economic growth? You just kind of look around the world, and if we we just the U.S. economy seems to be kind of a beacon of stability, if you will, relative to what we're seeing in Europe and uh, you know the slowing but still growing economy in China. How concerned are you about U.S. economic growth in the back half of this year? We're really not concerned about U.S. economic growth at all. And what you've seen already this year is that estimates have come up. Earlier this year, we, were, we weren't concerned earlier this year either, but now it's even less of a concern. And both economic growth and earnings growth are already expected to be heavier in the back end of the year. So they're supposed to be stronger in the back end of the year. So if we're already beating estimates and already uh, estimating things upward early in the year, I think that bodes well for the remainder of 2019. How about valuations? Um, any concern there? I know we've, when you just t- take a look at the broader markets, they're just trying to retrace the declines uh, that were in the fourth quarter. Any concerns about valuation here? Well, so valuations, it's a, it's a tricky question because then you get into the conversation of are we identifying asset price bubbles? And you can argue all day long about whether or not bubbles are a real thing. <laughs> right. And valuations at this point, I think the concerning piece for investors is that if you look at something like the CAPE, the, the cyclically adjusted PE, what it does is it suggests what returns will be going forward. Now, that's a measure that isn't really effective over short-term periods, but over long-term periods, it has a little bit more predictive power. And what it suggests right now is that returns going forward are, are pretty uninspiring. And the concern, I think, also for investors is yeah. when you have a portfolio that's showing stocks and bonds, with stocks at this level, and if there's a chance that they could correct, let's say, a regular correction of 10 to 15 percent, bond yields are so low still that they can't rally enough right. to offset right, that downside right, right. in stocks. I mean, well said. But the issue is we had predictions of single-digit performance 
And granted, there's been a year here, a year there where that's been true. But the answer is it's been a double-digit world amid single-digit predictions. Let's review. Mm -hmm. Why did that occur? Part of it this year, if we just focus on the last three months or so, has completely been monetary policy pivots. And the expectation that the Fed is going to back off if the market corrects like it did in the fourth quarter, I don't know that that is something that's going to persist. Because as we move through the year, and and if we go back to what I said earlier in the segment, if we have a strong back-end loaded year, and we have data that comes in and a Fed that continues to say we're data dependent, we actually see the possibility for a hike later this year. I mean, I mentioned Microsoft with 8.3 gazillion shares in four years ago and now 7.7 from 8.3 down to 7.7 number of shares. I mean, is share buyback really the reason strategists have gone from single digit to double digit reality? I don't think that that's the, the main driver. Because the other thing that you're seeing, I mean, even if there's share buybacks, what we've seen already this year is is so much money flowing into fixed income. So if that were the main driver, if it were a supply-demand dynamic in the equity market, we wouldn't be seeing so much money going into fixed income. You would be seeing more money going into equities, which would drive the prices up as supply falls. So I, I don't think that's the main component. So, Liz, given that you're forecasting or expecting a, a better growth in the in the year and not too concerned about earnings, and it looks like the Fed remains on the sidelines, what is the risk to the equity market outlook? Well, actually, the, the Fed remaining on the sidelines is what the equity market is expecting right now. So we've moved from the market pricing in a cut to the market really pricing in a, a full pause for the remainder of 2019. So one of the biggest risks is that the Fed comes back or starts to signal maybe halfway through the year or maybe sometime in fall, that they would have to raise rates again. And complacency up until yeah. that point is, is one of the biggest risks. So you don't want to see the market yeah. uh, ignoring that. You also don't want to see the market <laughs> ignoring some of the international risks that we think still remain. So Brexit has been right. extended, and that one kind of is, is well, one of the most boring risks to talk about at this point. But we still have to make sure that China's stimulus is effective. We've seen the earliest indications that the trend is improving. Mm-hmm. As long as that stays on a positive guide path, then I think we're fine. Okay. But there's there's also some overhanging risks with Italy. I mean, Italy remains in recession. Germany kind of flirting with that boundary. And you have that doom loop scenario that's possible well, with banks. Anybody that says doom loop scenario has to come back. Liz Young will join us for another section here. And we'll have a conversation on specific sectors, uh, plus minus, and that after a big picture of you here. Liz Young with BNY uh, Mellon Investment. Right now, we want to dive into one little theme, itty-bitty theme of this economy, and we can do that because it's what I get the most mail on. We do this with Tom Spurcelli, Tom Purcelli with RBC at Capital Markets. Tom, I know you're too young to remember Sugar, Sugar by the Archies, but that was 1969. This fully employed economy is not the fully employed economy of 1969. I get more mail on this than anything else. It drives listeners nuts when people like Tom Purcelli say it's a fully employed economy. Is it? I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can make the argument that uh, we're, we're very far away from that. 
Um, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to get into the splitting hairs part of the conversation, um, but I, I think it's really reasonable to make the case that you're you're within the range of it. Okay, um, but, but... Uh, and, and I think that's again, but nevertheless, I think that's an idea that I, I think is probably not very embraced. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, one, leading into the um, this segment, uh, one of your reporters said, uh, you know, claims were at a multi-decade low. Yeah, um, 1969. You know, that, that is not. It, it, look, it's it's fair on the face of it, but I think you have to look at it in a different way. You have to look at it um, in labor force adjusted terms, right? And when you do that, when you adjust it for the fact that the labor yeah. force has grown so much, claims are actually sitting at all-time lows. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's the right sort of perspective on this, <laughs> this broader labor market question that you're Then asking. how do you respond to whatever the report was last week of the percentage of Americans in fully defined contribution 401k programs versus 30, 40 years ago. I mean, are are the fully employed Americans of 2020, are they benefited like we were the last time around? You know, look, and you and I have talked about this many times, I think there's always going to be people that are sort of, um, <clears throat> that are left off, right, that that, that don't benefit as much. That, that's always true. Um, you know, and, and that's an unfortunate reality. And I think that's something that, you know, politicians need to sort of have a discussion about, which they clearly do. Um, but as, as a macro guy, right, as a macro economist, <clears throat> what, I, what I feel really comfortable saying is things continue to move along in a really constructive way from a U.S. perspective, whether it's from a labor perspective, a wage perspective, a growth perspective, a jobs. I mean, you know, in, in, in almost any iteration, economic activity, um, <clears throat> excuse my voice, uh, is performing in, in, really quite well uh, at this juncture. And, and that's not a very debatable point. So, Tom, when we think about the, you know, whether we're at or very near full employment, <clears throat> wage growth in kind of the low 3% range, are you surprised it's not even stronger than that? Um, you know, and again, that, that gets into like sort of the, the, the sort of the philosophical view of, of, of things to some extent. Um, so, you know, can you make the argument that, uh, um, you know, wages should be better? Um, sure, we can always make that argument. I mean, I would even say I wish my wages were better. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that's, there's the philosophical part of it. Th- then there's the practical part of it, right? And, you know, we can pinpoint a couple of things that sort of really drive home um, why wages haven't really performed nearly as well as, as, as you might think. I mean, you could point to, um, you know, sort of wage rigidity, right? The, per, the percent of people that are experiencing zero um, wage gains. I mean, that number is still pretty elevated. Um, and we think that that is certainly an impediment. Uh, that number, and, and don't quote me on this, but I think that number is sort of roughly around 15% or so. Um, and, and, and that is an elevated number. Now, the interesting thing about that, as you sort of think about how that evolves, is, you know, right now people are being rewarded for leaving a job. And taking another job uh, uh, with a higher wage rate, um, and so what tends to happen is, you know, they tend to lead people that stay at jobs um, where uh, yeah. um, managers finally realize, hey, you know, I got to <clears throat> keep this person. We have to pay them a little bit more, um, and 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 that's a dynamic that continues to to, to play out uh, in the United yeah. States. So, you know, maybe you chip away at that to some extent, but that's an absolute impediment. Uh, that, that is again, it's not a debatable point. Let's come back with Tom Parcelli, RBC Capital Markets, on the greater. American economy. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.